0: Turn your Bibles to John chapter 20, a very unique account of the resurrection. We started it last week, but the reason why it was appropriate to carry on into this week is the picture that John paints of the resurrection not only includes Easter morning, it uniquely includes Easter evening, and then very uniquely also includes today. Today the first Sunday after Easter. Now, on the surface, the picture that John paints reveals the disciples in great pain, deep struggle, suffering, confusion, fear, wrestling with doubt. But as you continue to look at the picture that John paints, something much more hopeful comes into focus. And that is Jesus, our greater hope, a hope greater than our sin, a hope that is always present in the pictures of our lives, even when we seem to be consumed with pain. And sin and failure. Now, one of the ways we illustrated how Jesus is always present with us in our struggle was I showed you a painting of Rembrandt's Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac. And again, you can barely see it. If you need to get close, go and check on the internet. But uh, this is Abraham and Isaac. The angel stops Abraham from uh, sacrificing Isaac. And then just to the left of the sheath, you can see a ram in the thicket. And so right in the midst of Abraham's trial, Jesus was with him all the time. And that's the same painting John gives us in John chapter 20. In the midst of of our confusion and pain and suffering and sin, Jesus is with us. There's another painting that I've used before. I want to show it again. It's from Numbers 21. This is a Russian artist. And Jesus is also clearly present amidst the sin, the suffering, the pain, even the death of God's people. Do you see Jesus? It's there very clearly. Well, in John 3, 14, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. See it there in the top left corner? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in Him will never perish, but will have everlasting life. All through Scripture we are reminded again and again and again through the paintings of God's Word that in the midst of our suffering and sin and brokenness and pain, Jesus is right there with us. And that leads to great reason for hope. Our focus this morning is our greater hope in the resurrected Jesus. Let's all stand and hear God's Word. Let's stand out of reverence, and may our hearts actually reflect. Do you think about that ever, by the way? You know, sometimes tradition just becomes old hat, but when we stand, that's what you do. If someone great walks into a room, you stand. May our hearts really reflect the postures of our bodies. May we reverence, God's word. John 20, 19 to 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that's Easter night, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, that's today, the first Sunday after Easter, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. He wants us to believe in the name of the Son of God and believing he wants us to experience life and he wants us to grow every single day in hope in the midst of our pain and suffering and sin and brokenness and failure. Let's pray. Father, we take our place if we're honest and humble alongside the disciples and we desperately need to see the picture of your presence in the pictures of our brokenness so come holy spirit encourage our hearts in jesus name amen go ahead and have a seat so there are three titles of jesus in this text John paints three different pictures of Jesus that we might have hope. And the whole point of this passage is is John is calling us to sing that old Scripture song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Last week we looked at the need to turn our eyes upon Jesus Our merciful God. We pick up this morning with the need to turn your eyes upon Jesus, your faithful Messiah. I just read that Jesus uh, did many, many other things that John didn't record in the Gospels. But John says in verses 30 and 31, these things that I did record were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's the word for the Messiah, the anointed one the one who would come to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus, in this passage, is painted for us as our faithful Messiah that we might find hope in the struggles of life. All through this passage, Jesus fulfills statements, maybe better put, promises that he gave during His last hours of life to the disciples. Jesus engages, if you look closely, in a series of actions and speaks a series of words that remind the disciples and us that Jesus was faithful to every single thing He promised. For instance, look at verse 19. Jesus came And stood among them. In John 14, Jesus says, I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And now he's fulfilling the word. Listen, the reason why the disciples were hiding in fear and cowering in confusion was precisely because they were living as orphans. They thought they were abandoned. And Jesus comes to them in their doubt. Comes to them in their fear. You know, I struggle with thinking that I need to deserve Jesus to come. And that he's resistant to come. He stays away. If what he meets in my heart is unbelief or doubt. And John paints a completely different picture. Jesus is simply reflecting the heart of the Father here. What, what's the worst mistake, the worst failure, the worst sin in all of human history? It's actually an easy answer. When Adam rebelled against God and ate the forbidden fruit. That was the source and wellspring of every awful sin that's ever been committed in the history of humanity. So if there was ever a time for God to stay away, for God not to come, for God to abandon people and let them be street children and orphans, it was Genesis 3. And yet what do we see? We see God pursuing Adam, even as Adam has run away and hidden himself in the garden. I don't know everybody's failures in here, I don't know everyone's brokenness, I don't know how you've sinned grievously. But what I do know is this. Jesus will not leave you as orphans. He will come to you the same way that he came to the disciples. And then look at verse 20. It says, The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. This, this is almost an exact quote from something Jesus said during the Last Supper. When he tells them that he's going away, In John 16, he says, You will be sorrowful, but then you will see me and rejoice. You will see me and be glad. And now Jesus is being faithful to his promise. Regardless of how faithless the disciples were, Jesus was faithful to what he promised. I know some of us are in the the slew of despond right now. Some of us are in the depths of despair. The pit of depression. And you may feel today like you'll never experience joy again. I imagine that's what the disciples felt. I mean, they were all in with Jesus, and now he was dead. And even though he appeared to them on the Easter Sunday, it's the Sunday after Easter, and they're still afraid. But Jesus comes and restores their joy. You know, remember David, after he failed, after he committed murder and adultery? He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And God did that. And then we come to verses 22 and 23. And after Jesus says, peace be with you, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit in John 14, in John 15, in John 16, throughout the entire Last Supper in the upper room. Jesus says repeatedly, I will send you a helper. I will send you the Holy Spirit. And here he's doing it. Throughout this entire passage, John is painting a picture of Jesus where he's always faithful to his promises. He's always faithful to his word. And here's the the beautiful thing. Our hope, is much more dependent on Christ's faithfulness than on ours. And what we even learn is that even when we're faithless, Jesus remains faithful to his promises. And then verse 27, we come to Thomas, who who basically stubbornly said, I'm never going to believe unless... Jesus meets my demands. And Jesus is faithful even to Thomas when we are faithless. All through Scripture, we see this again and again and again. God's people failing. God's people sinning. God's people being faithless. And God being faithful. I was in Joshua 9 and 10 at the beginning of last week. And in Joshua 9, Moses is dead, Joshua's now taken over the leadership of Israel. And they're conquering the lands in the promised land. And this group appears and it looks like they traveled a long distance. They have cracked bread, their shoes are worn out, their wineskins are brittle. Now, we, the reader, knows that they're just from a next town over. But it's, it's a trick, it's a deception, it's a ruse to try to get Israel to enter into a treaty with them because Israel, of course, has been called to destroy all the surrounding peoples because God wants to protect them from being contaminated by their culture and their sinfulness. Well, the text tells us that Joshua sampled their supplies but failed to inquire of the Lord. So he makes a treaty, thinking they're a long way away, but they're just a town over. And now if anybody attacks that town, the Gibeonites, Israel has to protect them. Sure enough, five kings end up attacking the Gibeonites, and now because of Joshua's great fail, Israel has got to protect the Gibeonites. Now what do you think God would do? My tendency is to think, okay, Joshua, you need to learn consequences for your foolish and sinful acts. It's time for a trip to the woodshed. You're going to get whooped. But that's not what happened. The text tells us that when Israel attacked the kings that were attacking the Gibeonites, God sent hailstones upon the enemy. And we're told that more people of the enemy died from the hailstones than died at the sword of the Israelites. Not only that, but Joshua prays in the midst of the battle that God wouldn't allow the sun to go down so that Israel would have more time to see God's enemies defeated. And the text tells us that never before and never since has God so listened to the voice of a man. Wait a minute. Joshua had just completely blown it. Total fail. Didn't inquire of God. But God was faithful, even when Joshua was faithless. And are you not glad that that is the kind of Savior we have? Because I've had colossal fails. And my tendency is always that God does this. And even if I repent, I've got to feel bad enough, long enough before I'll think that God will hear my prayers. Maybe you're like that, too. The picture John paints is that we have a faithful Messiah who was always faithful to his promises, even in the midst of. Of our fails. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, your merciful God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, your faithful Messiah. Thirdly, turn your eyes upon Jesus, your inspiring Lord. Now, don't think for a moment as we talk about mercy and faithfulness that there aren't consequences to sin. And don't think for a moment that even though God's a merciful God and God is a faithful God, That he isn't calling us to deeper growth and deeper faith. Jesus is full of grace and truth. As we say around here at Oak Mountain, grace has teeth. It calls us to more. So in verse 25, Thomas says, "...unless I see, I won't believe." So the the inspiring Lord shows up to Thomas. He shows mercy... He is faithful, but then look what he says in verse 21. Thomas, stop being unbelieving and start believing. He's gracious, he's kind, but he is firm. Thomas, stop your unbelief and start Trusting. You see, our merciful God and our faithful Messiah love us just the way we are. But our inspiring Lord loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Jesus is committed to our transformation. Jesus is committed to our progressive sanctification. Jesus is committed to us becoming daily more like him. So you have the hope of mercy and God will be faithful to you. But where is he calling you to more? In what area of your life is Jesus saying, stop being unbelieving and start believing. And then he says in verse 29, after Thomas says, my Lord and my God, Jesus is another gentle challenge. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus is constantly calling us to have hope. When what we're hoping for doesn't seem like it's going to happen. In Romans 8, Paul puts it this way. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he or she sees? See, it's not hope if it's a reality that you're experiencing that's fulfilled. It's, It's only hope when you don't see it. And you wait patiently for it. And God never says that hope is easy. Remember the picture I showed earlier of um, Theodore Bruni, the, the bronze serpent? Okay. They were commanded to turn their eyes upon Jesus. Now. Do you realize what's going on? Let me let me try. They are surrounded by snakes. They're snakes falling from heaven. They're snakes hanging off of people's arms. How distracted from looking to Jesus do you think they were? How hard do you think it would be to turn your eyes upon Jesus when you're surrounded by striking snakes? Or when you're babies. Are being struck at by venomous serpents. Or when your loved ones are dying next to you. From snake bites. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. God never said it was going to be easy. So I don't know how the Lord's calling you to more this morning. but But what he wants us to do is confess with Thomas, my Lord and my God. See, it's one thing to say that we want to love Jesus as Savior. It's a whole other thing altogether to be willing to follow Him as Lord. And frankly, Jesus doesn't offer another option. Jesus is not divisible, He can't be trusted as Savior and not be followed as Lord. And Jesus is saying, stop your holding back and surrender all. Remember that hymn, that Easter hymn, when I Survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died? And one of the phrases <clears throat> at the end is, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all you know it's really great in the painting we get of thomas's life he responded to the inspiring lord's challenge and if you look at the bigger picture of thomas's life it gets more amazing tradition tells us that thomas arrived in india around 52 AD. Now, one of the reasons we know this is likely very true is because there is a section of Southeast Asia, Southeast India, uh, where there are churches and relics that bear Thomas's name. And also, interestingly, in that particular area in Southeast India, there are names recorded... Back to the first century, where Christians upon their baptisms were given the name Thomas. There's also the tradition that Hindu priests in 72 AD martyred Thomas by the spear. You can imagine why. Thomas had been preaching grace there for 20 years, and karma and grace just don't mix. Karma is you get only what you deserve. Grace is you get what you could never deserve. Thomas was transformed by the mercy of God and the faithfulness of God. And yes, the inspiring challenge of God. And all because Thomas chose by God's grace to turn his eyes upon Jesus. We're going to close this morning before we come to the table the same way we closed last week, and that is with singing that beautiful chorus, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn. And I am so thankful for the picture that John has painted for us under the inspiration of the Spirit that shows us Jesus. God loves to paint for His children pictures of our Messiah. And one of the greatest pictures He's ever painted We're called to celebrate continually, and that's the picture of Jesus at the Lord's Supper. On the night of which Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Then after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the remission of sins of many. Drink from it, all of you, and give thanks. And and as we talked about the Messiah's faithfulness this morning, it's the covenant of grace that God is faithful to. Because of Messiah's wounds, God has promised that he will fulfill his covenant in our lives. Let's pray. God, we ask you now to set apart these elements from their common use. We understand they remain bread and the fruit of the vine, and yet we also know that they are not mere symbols and not merely a picture, but that, Jesus, you are truly spiritually present through this sacrament to nourish your people and, yes, sometimes even discipline as well. So we pray, help us to examine our hearts and give us hope in Jesus' name.